Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of my political podcast. Today we're not going to focus quite so hard on Brexit and actually talk a little bit about the uh, general state of the media right now. Um, specifically the Times and the Tory Graph, uh, uh, the Telegraph as it's more widely known. Um, they really had a go at Corbyn this weekend. Uh, it's almost as if the increasing threat of a general election gets the slander mill going again in Murdoch's murky world. We once again have new reports on the Labour anti-Semitism scandal. This time the Times are reporting that Jeremy Corbyn and his leadership office are interfering with cases of anti-Semitism among the membership of the party. So let's take a look at the evidence they've presented so far. So firstly, there is a conversation with Corbyn, recorded in secret by one of his MPs, Margaret Hodge. During this conversation, they discuss the ongoing investigations into Labour members accused of anti-Semitism. Corbyn remarks that he isn't involved in the complaints process, but he does ask for a heads-up if anyone accuses an MP or candidate, presumably so that they can remove, suspend, take action on these matters, not to cover them up as the report desperately tries to make out. Other evidence was presented by Margaret Hodge. She submitted 200 further complaints, although only 20 of these were actually complaints about Labour members. Uh, and none of the six people who accused Luciana Berger, MP, who resigned from the Labour Party earlier this year over anti-Semitism, were actually members of Labour. Uh, interesting enough, the evidence kind of shows that Corbyn is actually staying out of the investigation and allowing the due process of the Labour Party to kind of get on with it, rather than the previous claims, if you were paying attention, that he was getting involved and delaying things and purposefully uh, obstructing. Uh, so the Times have previously accused Corbyn of being involved in the process and deliberately slowing it down, but now claiming that the party has failed to take action in hundreds of cases. Uh, there are currently 836 cases being investigated. These claims have been reported in the last year. They are still being investigated and dealt with. Uh, apparently half have actually been uh, decided upon. If we assume that each of these individual 836 cases are accurate and each a single individual, then of the 500,000 Labour members, 0.17% of them have been accused of anti-Semitism. Um, let's take a fact, you know, Jeremy Corbyn isn't in control of who is allowed to become a member of the party. You know, you or I or anyone can apply to become a member of the Labour Party and just pay the small fee. Uh, nor is he in control of what these people then choose to say online. The claim is now that Corbyn and his office are interfering in the process when the recording that the Times are using as evidence actually states the complete opposite. On top of this, they claim that cases are being completely ignored when they said they are still being reviewed. Is the process taking too long? Yes, probably. Could it be handled better? Also, yes. Is it Corbyn's fault, though? Not really. What more would you like him to do? He's introduced a new general secretary, new disciplinary procedures that have been implemented for the first time in years, specific disciplinary attention paid to anti-Semitism, the backlog of cases that were in place before he had even been elected leader have been cleared, and the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism has been implemented. 
the IHRA being the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. So he is taking steps. These are the things that Corbyn has introduced just since 2015. Is the Labour Party institutionally anti-Semitic? Probably not. In other news surrounding this, there are two competing organisations trying to represent the voices of, of Jewish Labour. Uh, they are the People's Front of Judea and the Judean People's Front. Uh, sorry. Uh, the Jewish Labour Movement and the Jewish Voice for Labour. Uh, the Jewish Labour Movement, or JLM, passed a vote of no confidence in Jeremy Corbyn yesterday. Of course, this vote doesn't actually do anything, but it's their way of showing their discontent. Baroness Chakrabarti, um, also a member of the Labour Party, who led the inquiry into Labour antisemitism in 2016, stated that the JLM should not personalise the issue and make it about Corbyn. She said that the issue of antisemitism goes way back and that Corbyn was only one person. Um, Interestingly, you don't actually have to be Jewish, or even a Labour member, to join the JLM and have voting rights. The only requirement is that you support Israel and Zionism. Hmm. I wonder if perhaps some anti-Zionist comments or anti-Israel comments are being perceived as anti-Semitic, or perhaps painted that way. Let's not forget that Corbyn dared to speak in favour of Palestinians. Perhaps this organisation has its own agenda. Perhaps it has something to do with Labour making it policy to recognise Palestine as a state. That is official Labour policy, which would make the UK the first Western nation to do so. Now, I don't want to start debating the issue of Israel-Palestine. I don't want to be pulled down into the mud. But really, it seems to me that both sides kind of suck. Both Israel and the surrounding Arab nation have started offensive wars since the creation of the State of Israel, and Israel continues to break international law with regards to illegal settlements. But to discuss a genuine criticism of the Israeli government is to be anti-Semitic in the eyes of some. Uh, the other Jewish labor organization, called the Jewish Voice for Labor, the JLV, is exclusively for Jewish people and labor members. Non-Jewish are allowed to join, but do not have voting rights. The JLV seeks to help the rights of all minorities, at least according to their webpage, and that includes the Palestinians, and yes, they explicitly mentioned them, and to oppose attempts to widen the definition of anti-Semitism beyond its meaning of hostility towards or discriminating against Jews as Jews. This group is a much stronger supporter of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, the exaggeration of this matter is simply a means to an end. Keep Jeremy Corbyn out of power. It is no surprise to me that as talks between Labour and Conservatives break down over Brexit and the prospect of a new general election looms, that we suddenly have front-page news stories about the failings of Jeremy Corbyn, rather than anything criticising May's lack of movement. Rather than critically analysing the evidence or commenting on the breakdown of Brexit talks due to the failings of Theresa May, we have front page news calling Corbyn an anti-Semite because of the behaviour of 0.17% of the membership of his party. To claim that he is supporting this, or in any way involved in the process, is to completely misrepresent the facts. It is a blatant attempt by the media to smear him once again. Even the BBC is failing to accurately report on this, simply regurgitating the Times article, even though by their own admission in the report on the BBC page, they themselves admit they haven't seen the supposed documents. Why are you reporting it then? That isn't good journalism, that's simply becoming a mouthpiece for the Sunday Times. Simply reporting the claims by another paper is not journalism. Further to this, the headlines alone in relation to the news yesterday shows clear bias at the BBC. The article on Corbyn has the headline, 
of his criticism. And then in the article, they report his response. The article on May, however, prints her response as the headline. And then the criticism is much deeper into the article. I quote the headlines here. May, I had to reproach Labour over Brexit. This is her response to criticism she's received from her Tory backbenchers about her betraying the Tory party. Now I quote, Corbyn faces fresh anti-Semitism round. That's the criticism he's facing, and then when we go into the article, we find Corbyn's response to this criticism. Why isn't the May article headed, Furious Tory MPs turn on May over desperate talks with Corbyn? Which is the criticism that May has faced. There's a reason it's done this way round. The headline makes you react and make a decision, an opinion, before you have even read the full facts. The BBC article goes on to quote Mary van der Zyl, president of the Board of Deputies of British Jews. She states that, rather than own up to the problem, the Labour leadership has put its efforts into a cover-up operation. Any claims to a politically independent system can now be seen as a total sham. Except the released audio shows that Corbyn is not interfering in the process and is allowing the party's process to happen. Before it was Jeremy Corbyn is preventing these anti-Semitism cases from coming to light, he is hindering the investigation, and now it is he should be involved in these investigations and making sure it all goes correctly. It's almost as if it doesn't matter what Jeremy Corbyn is actually doing on this. Anti-Semitism is the stick that will continue to be used to beat him. They are claiming he is both interfering and ignoring the problem. Maybe there is a problem with rising anti-Semitism across all demographics in the UK, I have some evidence for this in the description. And Jeremy Corbyn is allowing the party to enact due process in investigating these issues. Half of the claims brought to the party have been dealt with. Others are in a backlog. Admittedly, that is poor. But that doesn't mean the Labour leadership is interfering in investigations. We must remember, these are not senior figures in the Labour Party. Ken Livingston is gone. These are just random people who can become a Labour member and post Hail Hitler online. Just because there is a small crossover between the two groups does not mean that they are one and the same. In case you didn't know, the Sunday Times is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who I am sure I do not need to tell you about, and I am also confident that you have an idea of where he may not like Jeremy Corbyn and his ideas about how the media should be treated. The Telegraph, however, is owned by the infamous Barclay twins, reclusive businessmen worth several billion. These two are rather insidious, and I'm willing to bet you have not heard of them, because I hadn't, and at least not like you've heard of Murdoch. They literally, they literally own one of the Channel Islands, called Bracco, on which they built a castle. Uh, they enacted reforms in the Channel Islands to introduce some democracy. Which sounds good, right? In the initial elections in 2008, however, the brothers pulled out of many investments, threatening 170 jobs on the island, because the islanders were not going to vote for their approved candidate and instead expressed preference for the previous leaders. Uh, in 2012, the only doctor on the island left after being forced to transport a seizing patient by boat, rather than the Barclays helicopter. There have been continued protests since then against bullying, harassment and intimidation by representatives of the Barclay Twins. So in general, not lovely blokes, and understandably, a bit fearful of Corbyn. So what we have is billionaire-owned papers, a left-wing leader who is gaining ground, and an election not so far in the distance. Therefore, it should come as no surprise that the Corbyn hysteria has begun again. This was not the only Corbyn-based story to come out of the Times this weekend. How to protect your cash from Corbyn. Dodge tax, buy gold and pay private school fees in advance. 
The headline for the story reads, and I quote, He is a lifelong Marxist who loathes aspiration in the middle class. Now he's just a heartbeat from power. You really can't afford to miss our definitive expert guide, How to Protect Your Cash from Corbyn. It's in these moments that I am reminded of a quote by the current Shadow Chancellor, John McDonnell. If you think things are bad now, well, wait till we get even closer to number 10. They will stop at nothing to demonise Jeremy. They'll lie, cheat and slander in ways you couldn't dream of right now. We are expecting it and so should you. You'll feel like giving up, but we have to remain strong in the face of vile coup attempts to stop a caring, compassionate government that wants the best for all its citizens, not the self-interested few. This is all part of the political game, being played by the elite to make you think that Corbyn is the one that threatens the middle class, rather than the Conservative Party that has cut benefits, cut welfare, cut the NHS, cut police, cut, cut, cut. The middle class doesn't need to dodge tax or pay private school fees in advance. Their children don't go there. Middle class children are at state school. Their parents are just getting by working a job each that has them just about making ends meet, stuck in expensive rental housing. The middle class doesn't need to protect their assets from Corbyn. Corbyn is the one who is offering them help to get assets at all. This article is an attempt to get people believing they are superior, make them think they are part of the elite that Corbyn is threatening. The only elites that Corbyn is threatening are the ones making sure the articles are printed. There are people who read this and think, one day I will get those things and then Corbyn will take them away, or he'll take them away now and then I can't get them. Despite not having any of the things right now, on the Tories not really offering the opportunities for you to do so. Uh, it's like Thatcherism gone mad, this idea that the only thing holding the lower classes back is a lazy attitude and a lack of effort. It is a lack of opportunity. No private schools or cushy nepotism, and the Tories are taking opportunity away. Away from those who need it most. NHS bursaries for nurses taken away. Childcare costs on the rise. Rent on the rise. Benefit cuts. Student fees. All these things make it harder for those lower on the ladder to climb up it. And yet the claim is the big red boogeyman is the real danger. Not the government that has been in power for nine years and failed to make the lives of the most vulnerable any better. In fact, with the way the DWP behaves, the Department for Work and Pensions, they seem to have sought to make life more difficult for our most vulnerable citizens, exploiting them for the gain of the rich. The anti-capitalist elements of the Labour Manifesto don't seek to impact your small business owners or middle-class workers, but huge multinational corporations who refuse to pay tax. Even on Brexit, sorry to bring it up, the Labour Party has always sought to ensure the protection of workers' rights, sought to ensure that there is ongoing trade with the EU to help small businesses who rely on that trade to survive. The Conservative Party is filled with 100-plus MPs who now believe that leaving with no deal is a good thing that this is what the people voted for. It is not a good thing for the people whose jobs would be lost, whose businesses would no longer be able to survive. There is a blatant attempt, a campaign, to paint Corbyn as a revolutionary communist rather than as a social democrat. Corbyn believes in democracy. He doesn't believe in raiding bank accounts and seizing assets. He believes in welfare, regulation of the markets and the protection of workers' rights. He's not going to start taking money out of middle-class bank accounts with 20 grand in them, nor is he going to take your house and give it to some Muslim immigrant family. The idea that your average middle-class individual needs to buy gold in order to protect themselves from a Labour government is utterly fanciful. As the threat of a general election looms ever closer, there is no doubt that the media campaign against Corbyn will continue. Even just reading the article will give a different perspective compared to the scaremongering headlines that will be put out. 
which brings us nicely on onto Brexit, as I am often loath to do. Theresa May has released a statement yesterday concerning Brexit. Uh, oh, sorry, Brexit. She was sat on a sofa looking rather jovial. Uh, she started by saying that many were asking her over the past few days to explain what is going on. Uh, I'd like to point out to Theresa that we've actually been asking her to do this for about three years. But I digress. The video, which will be linked in the description, shows Theresa sitting comfortably on a pedestal. Wait, sorry. Sofa, looking relaxed somewhere in number 10. She seems to be in a good mood, having a little chuckle about the fact that it's nearly three years since the referendum and people are still asking her this. I'm not laughing, Teresa. Whoever has filmed this cannot even hold the camera steady. Apparently austerity is even hitting number 10 hard and they can't afford a tripod. Perhaps she was looking for a leg to stand on. She makes the admission now that she doesn't see Parliament ever passing her deal in its current state, something she has tried very hard not to admit to this point. She makes the correct point that Parliament has also voted against no deal, and is in fact currently legislating to prevent this. The Cooper Bill from last week that is being discussed today as well. And therefore, she says, that in her belief we must leave the EU with a deal. She has been searching for a compromise. She states that she believes people didn't vote on party lines with regards to Brexit, and that the people would like to see more cross-party negotiation. If only she had realised this when this process began, it is quite the important revelation. She once again chuckles as she mentions that this means there must be a compromise on both sides, perhaps amused by her own hypocrisy, given her inability to do so. So what did we actually learn from this statement from PM May? Uh, not much. Not much at all, really. Once again, she is attempting to pass on the responsibility for her own behaviour, demanding compromise while not offering to actually do the same, demanding to leave with a deal but not willing to find an alternative, alternative to her own failed attempt. Mrs May has today simply regurgitated facts that most of us accepted back at the start of the process. Compromise will be necessary. People didn't vote on party lines. Parliament doesn't want no deal. We knew this three years ago, but it seems that only now, with all her options gone, and she sees herself hanging by a thread, or any number of other metaphors see Wiley Coyote, she has only now admitted it. May continues to be paralysed by the divisions of her own party, and Labour are smartly not giving her the easy way out. Interestingly, though, perhaps this is all a threat from May to the Brexiteer wing of her party. Note how she brings up that no deal is being removed as a possibility. She even removed her own deal as a possibility, really, for the first time. So this is a threat that Brexit may not happen at all, a serious threat. She is hinting that a second referendum or a rev revocation of Article 50 to prevent no deal is on the cards, whereas she explicitly made out that no deal is not. I believe this is another attempt to bring them into the fold, to accept her Brexit or take no Brexit at all, or even worse, a Labour Brexit. The main thing to take away from this, however, has nothing to do with the actual content, but more the way she said it. Just watching this made me actually feel something different for me, something akin to pity. She is seeming more depressed as the days passed, her iron will being rusted away by the endless torrential downpour that is this Brexit process. I think it's because she herself is beginning to lose hope. It's kind of sad to watch. Her premiership has certainly not been easy, and I'm definitely not feeling as satisfied to see her broken as I once thought I would. She's an honourable stateswoman. She has put her life into achieving her goal of becoming Prime Minister, and unfortunately for her, David Cameron abandoned her with an absolute mess that no Tory leader could have easily solved. She seems to join the long line of previous Tory Prime Ministers who have suffered at the hands of Europe. 
Fundamentally, Theresa May has always tried to do what's best for the country. I don't agree always with what she thinks is best, but I think I can admire her drive to accomplish it. I think we really are now seeing the final days of May, only a month or so early. This does seem weird to say, but I hope she is not critiqued too harshly in the criti in the history books. Maybe I've just gone soft, but I don't think that Brexit could have been delivered, at least not really by a Tory government. She absolutely made mistakes in the process, but I somehow doubt that even with cross-party talks and a lack of red lines at the start, that she would have ever succeeded. In any case, today we are hearing news that Theresa May will go to Berlin tomorrow to meet with Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron to discuss a further extension. Uh, there's a lot of news coming out that Macron and Germany are going to be a bit more hard on May and not so easy to please when it comes to securing this extension. But I think we can all agree that Macron's bark is worse than his bite. As we've seen in previous cases, he's generally kind of just hamming it up for the French media to look like much more of a hardliner than he actually is. The, the real reason this is going on, EU still wants the UK to remain, really, and that's the best case scenario for everybody. And so if there is a real reason for the extension, such as Theresa May offering a second referendum or a renegotiation or a general election or something, then that is perhaps going to be enough to sway them. I expect, though, if she goes there and simply asks for an extension with no real uh, discussion of what it's for, i.e. just in the hope of getting her own deal through, I think that would very much be declined, and then perhaps we would face revocation on Thursday. Uh, Wednesday will also bring the EU summit, the emergency EU summit that has been called. Uh, this is where, hopefully, we will have announcements of what kind of extension Britain has achieved to gain and negotiate from the EU, and perhaps this will align some new way forward for the negotiations in Brexit. Anyway, trying to bring you some non-Brexit news this week. So, bit of international stuff, Libya. You might have seen a few stories about some ongoing violence in Libya and be wondering about what's going on there. You probably remember Colonel Gaddafi, funny looking fella, often wearing a hat. Uh, he was deposed back in 2011 during the Arab Spring. Now, after Gaddafi was toppled, there was a bit of a power vacuum, and currently there are kind of two governments. There's the Government of National Accord in the West, which is led by Prime Minister Fayez al-Sarraj, and there is the House of Representatives in the East. Uh, this is where General Khalifa Haftar comes in. He is the man leading the Libyan National Army, and he is the man who is initiating this offensive on Tripoli. They are associated with the East and the House of Representatives. Now, he's kind of the star of the story. He was there when Gaddafi first came into power. He was one of his generals. Uh, during the 70s, he was sent to Chad as a sort of insurgent army against the French-backed Chadians, but unfortunately he was captured when his army lost, and Gaddafi disowned him to try and save face from being involved in the war. And so General Khalifa Haftar vowed to topple him some day. Now, as we know, Gaddafi died in 2011 quite gruesomely, and Haftar decided to return. Uh, he got involved in things and became one of the warlords vying for control. Um, in the 2014, however, is when we had some UN-backed elections, and this is when the, general, the Government of National Accord and the House of Representatives had their vote between them. And the House of Representatives, the eastern side, actually won, but the GNA refused to hand over power. 
So the House of Representatives moved to Tobruk, a city in the east, and the GNA continued to control the western state and Tripoli. The, govern the government of National Accord, GNA, is UN-backed, but the UN also support the fact that the House of Representatives have the right to government. They believe there should be a unity government called the General National Congress. Uh, the Western GNA is struggling to kind of assert its control and has little power outside of Tripoli, whereas the HOR and the Libyan National Army in the East is doing quite well, hence Haftar's advance on Tripoli. This has led to a lot of evacuations of non-essential staff from each of the many nations and UN who have been in the state, trying to uh, help stabilise things and introduce a true democratic process and constitution. Uh, why does this all matter? Well, Libya's an oil-rich nation right on the doorstep of Europe, and seeing it continue to destabilise is quite a worry. And also, Western nations have really put a lot of effort into trying to stabilise this country already, and they're kind of running out of ways to help things out. The UN had planned talks that are still scheduled for the 14th to the 16th of April, but there are now doubts as to whether this will happen at all. And now the UN may have to start from scratch with a new government, whatever they may look like after this battle, or maybe that government will not wish to cooperate at all. So, again, it's a bit of a worry, and we'll see how Libya hopefully handles it in the future. Perhaps this new House of Representatives with the Libyan National Army and General Khalifa Haftar will install some democracy and constitution and so on, once they have taken power away from the GNA, who admittedly did lose the election. But that remains to be seen. I'm sure there'll be some very exciting news in the coming days. We have the EU Emergency Summit on Wednesday, which will be thrilling, and Theresa May obviously meeting with those other European politicians tomorrow and on Wednesday to hopefully ask for that extension. Expected your episode on Thursday. Thank you once again for listening. Goodbye. The house is my house is my house is my house is my are legally binding, 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 to every single EU leader, 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 le